good. Well, my friends, a bit of a review. Book of Revelation. You know, and you have to know as we study this, that the outline of this book, that the divine outline given by Jesus to John is that he is to write the things that now are. This is chapter 1 and verse 19. The things that you have seen. The things that now are. And the things which must soon come to pass. And that division looks like this. Chapter 1, that which you have seen. And it is the revelation of the glory of Jesus. And that's chapter 1. And then in chapters 2 and 3, the things which now are. And he's talking about the church. You remember that word seven. Seven is very significant in the Bible. It's significant in our world. You know, we live in a world of tens. Everything is a ten, you know, a tenth. Uh, you know, we, we do percentages that is based on all of those things. But the Bible is in sevenths. Seven days out of the week. God determined that. And on the seventh day that everyone should rest. And then he did the seven sevens. You know, on every seventh year, the nation of Israel was to let their, their, their land just, just sit. No growing, no, 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 nothing out in the field. Mm -mm. I'll give you enough in the sixth. Take care of the seventh and even the eighth as you're starting up again. And then seven years times seven, 49 years, the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. And so the, the Bible thinks seven. You know, the year, year of Jubilee, if you had a loan from somebody who had borrowed something, everything gets forgiven. Think about that. If you had sold your property because you were going on hard times, it all comes back to you, the year of Jubilee. Because God wanted the properties that he had designated for all the tribes to stay in their hands. He even gave some warnings, you know. So you see your neighbor and he's having a tough time, you know. And, and he's trying to sell his property in order to feed his family. And you might be thinking, well, it's only a year and a half before Jubilee. And he warned him about evil thoughts like this. So sevens. Very important. Very important. In chapter 1, we see this unveiling of Jesus. And it's a picture right out of Daniel 7. And we see the, the church in chapters 2 to 3, I think, represented complete. Seven churches representing every church of every age and their spiritual condition reflected in some way in every church that has ever been. And one might even go as far as to say every Christian. Come to chapter 4. And the wise person would carefully consider. Then we come to chapter 4 and 5. And this is where we begin to transition in the things which must soon come to pass. So what we're going to read about here in chapter 4 and 5 is still yet on the horizon. John is going to witness that there will be a day in which this will occur. So notice with me in, in verse 1. And we'll notice first where John was. He is in the throne room of God. Take a look. 
after this, now notice that phrase, that's important. Because in the book of the Revelation, it's chronological. The Greek word is metatata. And it, 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 the word tata is it's plural. It should be things. Now, in this translation, it says after this. Other translations would say after these things. So after the church, this is what happened. I think that's significant. So you will see after this, the church age, I looked and beheld, behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things, metatata, after this. And he's, he's transitioning from churches to the next event. And you will notice who was there up in heaven. I mean, you ever wonder what it looks like up there? You know, you probably have a picture in your head taught to you by media, perhaps a Sunday school curriculum of what an angel looks like. And we're going to change that here this morning, friend. <laughs> And you will notice in verse, uh, verse 2, at once, John says, I was in the Spirit. Now, what in the world does that mean? What it means in the Spirit is experientially, he's going to be in heaven. But John is still in Patmos. God is, is opening. How do you explain such a thing? I don't know. I was his spirit in heaven and his body, you know, was he sleeping or something? I don't know. But what we do know is that God has opened this up for him to see. And in writing these things for you and I as well. And so again, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. And at once I was in the spirits and behold, a throne stood in heaven. And the throne in your mind of stories and various things just means a place to sit for important people. But this word is used over and over in this book and it means authority. A throne is about authority. And a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And you will notice phrases like this, had the appearance of. John is not saying, and this was that, and this was this. He's saying, it looked like this to me. In other words, it, it was, there was something about it, and the only frame of reference he had is the things that he knew. That'll be important, friends, as we're studying this book. As we would anticipate that heaven is not earth and earth is not heaven. And so John is interpreting what he is seeing for us. And he says here, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and chameleon. And among the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And so we see the person on the throne, and this, of course, is God the Father. And you say, well, why didn't he say he had a beard and, you know, the, the, the clothes? Because we have been taught too much by artists that aren't biblical. 
No man has seen God and lived, my friends. And what he is seeing is the presence of God. And there he is on the throne. And then you will notice, having seen a person on the throne, you'll see some persons around the throne. This is pretty significant to me. Look at verse 4. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. We're going to do some unpacking on this. Because right now you're like, oh, here's that stuff again. Who are these? What are these? How about just some normal reading? You're the church and you read about elders. What are you thinking? Are you thinking glorified gorillas? You're not, are you? Who are you thinking? You're thinking people, right? Men. The Bible says elders are men. Interesting. Well, I'm convinced that these 24 elders represent the church. And you said, what? How in the world did you get that? Well, let me lay it out for you and see what you think. I believe that... Uh, what has happened between the church and the events that are about to take place are consistent with biblical teaching. I believe the church has been raptured at this point. Now we read about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. This is, this is something that Paul made clear to encourage people who have lost loved ones. And the belief had to be, well, maybe they're going to miss out on everything because they died. They weren't alive for Jesus to come back and get them. What will happen to them? And this is what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. And that is the terminology of death for the believer. Sleep. And he says this, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and who are left unto the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. My friends, we're talking about this word rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible at all. Either is the word trinity, but it is very scripturally supported here, my friends. And it's based on this word that we just read there, be caught up together. That word caught up is uh, arpazo. The word uh, rapture itself is from a Latin word, and uh, rapio, and it, it, it's, uh, in the Greek, it's uh, apodzo. 
It means to grab or seize suddenly so as to remove, take it away, translated, caught up. And this is, this is going to happen significantly before what is known as the tribulation period. And as we know, the significant portion of text in the book of Revelation is talking about this time of tribulation. It has different names in the Bible. It's called a time of Jacob's trouble, a period of indignation. Jesus himself referred to it as the birth pains of the Messiah. And my friends, four reasons why I believe they represent the church. The first is that metatoto. We have a transition taking place here. After these things, this is going to happen. Now, we know the church will not be a part of the tribulation. And I may have just stolen everything from you because you were wondering how we're going to survive and nobody wants that number on their forehead. My friends, if you're a Christian, you ain't going to be there. You ain't going to be there. So that metatoto appears actually twice in verse 1 of chapter 4. After this, I looked and behold a door standing in heaven. After this, there's the first one. After the churches, then I saw this. And the voice which had heard me speak, uh, I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place. And there it is again. After these things, what are those things? It's the church. Reason number one. Reason number two. The word elder. Any church hearing this, what is the normal understanding of the word elder? Church leader, right? I mean, these seven churches certainly would have understood it that way. What are they wearing? Take a look at this description here. They're wearing white garments and golden crowns. Chapter 19 tells us that the white garments are the righteous deeds of the saints. In other words, this looks to me like these people have been rewarded. James tells us that one of the rewards is a gold crown, the crown of life. And the crown here, there's lots of different crowns. Oh, that's the same truth in so many words in the Greek language, it could mean so many things. But, the, you know, you've got diadem that means crown. And that, of course, is a ruling thing. But this is, this is a victor's crown. It was a, a woven wreath, you know. And the, the victor, you've seen, you know, old pictures and paintings with such things. And that's what's going on here. These are rewarded people. They have a Stephanus is the Greek word. And so they have received this, this crown, and they are wearing white garments. It just smacks of they've been rewarded. And that's one of the reasons why I think this is representing the church, because this fits what God has said about the church. Another thing that I, I reason I believe that this must represent the church, in light of the word elder, in light of what they're wearing, is that God has exempted the church from his wrath. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, God, God's wrath 
is something that he says we won't experience. And one thing we know for sure is that when we get to chapter 6, it ain't nothing but wrath. God's wrath happens immediately. Church can't be there. Either that or we got a problem with Paul wrote. God, with God, these, these four things are going to be re, uh, just evidenced of God's wrath and laid out in Scripture. But the church is not found, and this is the last reason. Now, this is an argument from silence. That the church does not appear from chapter 6 to 18. I mean, it's from 4 to 8. You know, you just, just keep going. And the church isn't there. What happened to the church? believe the church is in heaven it's my argument that's why i'm convinced of it you may not agree with it then you'll have to come up with reasons of your own why you think there's someone else but my friends i'm convinced there's the church wrath is about to begin the church is gone now as we move on here we've seen these 24 elders now we see the holy spirit from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. This, of course, is reminiscent of Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. And so there's, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And there's that word seven again. And it's not there for you to count out one. It's for you to recognize this is complete, full representation. These seven churches of fire, defined as the seven spirits, speaks of the fullness and perfection of the Holy Spirit and his ministries. And so there you are in heaven. And, and you know who you see? You see the Father, and you see the church, and you see the Holy Spirit. Who's about to show up? Any, any ideas in your, in your head? <laughs> Aren't we missing some people? How about some angels? Shouldn't there be some angels flying around in heaven playing harps? Well, let's get to verse 6. And this is, again, I, I can't tell you how excited I am to share this with you. Look at verse 6. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures. And this is why you don't read the book of Revelation. And this is why you miss out on so much. Because you're like, what in the world is going on here? First, four living creatures, what does that even mean? And second, what's the point of even reading it? I mean, I can't understand it anyway. Hear me. You got a pencil? Write this down. Write it in the cover of your Bible. Write it on the palm of your hand. Treasury of Scripture knowledge. This is a book full of cross-references. You're reading something, you don't understand it. Sure, look up a commentary. Even better, let the Bible define the Bible for you. Let it teach it to you. And what this is... Is, is a really a masterfully wonderful tool that lays out for us cross-references. Hey, this same thing is talked about over here. And it's like every verse of the Bible, hey, this is talked about here and here and here. And, and as we read this, look at this. 
on each side of the throne, there's four living creatures. Now look at this. They're full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature is like a lion. It says he's like a lion. It doesn't say he's a lion. And the second living creature like an ox. Third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Well, of course are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. See that word created? Hold on to that one for a moment. And by your will they existed and were created. To him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. And you say, what about these four creatures? What are we supposed to do with those guys? Well, the writer, as I've mentioned this before, and it'll probably come up every single week, presumes you know your Bible. Presumes that since it's God's word, you've read it because you want to know what God has said. And you would recognize this clearly. This is Ezekiel chapter 1. These very same angels show up. And then by the time you get to chapter 5... I'm sorry, chapter 15, first, <laughs> no, it's chapter 10, Ezekiel 10, and verse, um, the cherubim mounted up, these were the living creatures. This is exactly what, uh, having described the very same things, uh, again in chapter 10, Ezekiel says, then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written with, oh gosh, I've just skipped things altogether here. <laughs> So the cherubim mounted up, and these were the living creatures that I saw by the Kibar Canal. These are angels. Now go back and read that. Is that the little, you know, chart-playing angel that you have in your head? Let's get biblical. And see, so the Bible has already defined it. And we, 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 if we read the book of Ezekiel, we would know this stuff already. These are angels. And it's exactly what you would expect to find in heaven, wouldn't you? They are the servants of God. And apparently, they are a particular kind of angel. Cherubim. I think we use the word cherub. That chubby little angel with little white wings, you know, and he's so adorable. And it's not biblical, my friends. Those are scary-looking creatures. Some odd-looking things. But that word creation is significant there. Very significant. Because if you went to Genesis chapter 9 and you find a covenant with God's creation, he goes through each one of those things. You've got the, with man, you've got with an ox and a lion and a uh, whatever. So all of those things are significant. And so what have we seen? We've got this glimpse of the throne room. We see the Father sitting on the throne with all authority. 
We've seen 24 elders sitting on their thrones, rewarded, co-rulers with Christ. Hmm, that day is coming, my friends. And then we see these angels, the Holy Spirit and these angels. And then we uh, see what John witnessed. And this is the significant part here. This affects you. This is your future. Listen carefully. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. 14 verses. We're going to make our way through here pretty quick. So buckle up, hold on, and stay focused. So we have all of these witnesses here. Then I saw... In the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now this is significant here. Because this scroll represents the title deed to all that the Father promised the Son because of his sacrifice on the cross. In Psalm chapter 2, 8, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are quoted all the way through this book. Significant Psalms. Significant. But in Second, uh, Psalm 2, verse 8, he says, Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen, the nations, for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And Jesus Christ is the heir of all things, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. He is our beloved kinsman redeemer, who is willing to give his life to set us free from bondage and to restore our lost inheritance. The inheritance, my friend, is yet to come. So, the Father is holding this scroll, and Jesus is found to be the only one worthy to open it. Has seven seals. Romans, this was clearly a will. Uh, a will. Seven seals. Now, these seals... I want to give you a quick, uh, very detailed illustration of how these things work. You may have seen pictures of this will that is in the right hand of the Father, and you've seen seven seals along the top. That's not how it works. These seals are going to be judgments, and uh, we're going to enter into this talk about this tribulation period. And what we are going to uh, uh, have to understand is that the purpose of these things is to result in the inheritance the purpose of all of this judgment, this pain, and this death, and these horrific things that are taking place are all designed to bring the nation of Israel into faith with Jesus Christ. Certainly today there are believing Jews, there's no doubt about that, but the nation of Israel as a whole, I mean, it doesn't just reject God, basically, it's just doesn't believe God at all. And so these seven seals work like this. Break the first one. There it is. And another seal. Can you almost see it? Break that one. There's the next one. Break that one. Comes the next one. That's how that works. What an illustration. Give this guy a hand. <laughs> well, my friends, see the father is holding the scroll 
And that this will could only be opened by the heir. And Christ, of course, is the heir of all things. Again, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. And the fact that this scroll is written on both sides shows that nothing more can be added to it. The destiny of the sinful world is determined. And so a mighty angel here in verse 2, take a look at this. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And my friends, this is significant. And John realizes that this is so significant that he is now weeping and bawling. I mean, he's, he's what am I going to do? He's weeping loudly because he knows that he is yearning to see the creation set free from the bondage of sin. You and I, slaves to sin. Every inclination of our heart is only evil continually. Until we come to faith in Christ and suddenly our eyes are open to it. And now we have the choice to fight it or surrender to it. He knew that our inheritance as co-heirs with Christ were in it. All of the things of the future are tied in this. And he knew that the Old Testament promises to Israel would never be fulfilled unless the scroll could be opened. And here it is in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that, in light of the fact that Christ died for our sin, rose from the dead, victorious over death and hell, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. I know there's a little confusion and shadowy about that. We're going to make all that stuff clear when we hit it next week. But my friends know this, and between the throne of the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Who's the lamb? Anybody? It's Jesus. I mean, John told us that. Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came as a lamb the first time. And John says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns. There's that word seven again. Let's pause for a moment. If you're an animal, do you want horns? And why? Offensive, defensive, yes? It's about power, isn't it? Oh, how many horns? Seven. Perfect power. So here's the lamb. Yeah, perfect power. Hmm. And with seven eyes, what's the point of eyes? Seeing things, knowing things, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. Perfect presence, omnipresence, one might say. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And then all heaven goes bananas. 
because they know the significance of what is about to happen. Jesus is going to open this will and the events that follow will set us free, will bring to us our inheritance where we will be restored all the way back to the first three chapters of Genesis. When God would stroll through the garden in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. He would be their God. He was their God and they were his people. And they fellowshiped as God designed it. There was no sin. There was no shame. And here it is. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they just fell down on their face before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so they fall down and they begin to sing. Look at verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's coming. And they shout. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. My friends, only Jesus can take authority to set this creation free from the bondage of sin. Only Jesus is able. And as we have said, you are slaves to sin. It is your job to resist. Stop giving in to sin. Christ died for it. And you treat it so carelessly. Resist. And the fact that we are all slaves to sin should indicate we should work together. We are trusting in Christ to forgive us our sin, but my friends, we must work together. Look out for one another. Be willing to say to one another, hey, brother, what's going on? Why are you doing that? Nobody's pointing fingers. We're looking out for each other. Say, hey, let's be strong. I'm with you. I understand you. We need to work together. And finally, my friends, you ought to be worshiping the Lamb who died for your sins, who died to give you an inheritance. Worship Him. And my friends, worship, sure, it includes singing. 
And sure, it includes praying, it includes being here on Sunday, my friends, but it is so much more. It's about living right, living in a way that honors him. Every choice, every decision, every move in obedience to him, my friends, for his glory and for the good of his church.